Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and chavruta, Yerdena Azband. Our daf of the day, Masech Psachim, daf Ayin Zayin, page 77. As Yerdena promised you, we would, I'm sure with a bleed there, we came, we're coming back to the Mishnah from yesterday, which is on Ayin Vav 76, uh, which really is the Mishnah that becomes, you know, the basis for the whole rest of this daf. This is a long daf. This is a long daf with a winding machloket or, or attempt to figure out the different opinions or the different who, what are the opinions, the various opinions of Rabbi Lezer and Rabbi Yoshua conversely, meaning they do not agree, and in particular how they both are relating to this Mishnah. So Yerdain, I know you're going to talk about them and Rabbi Yoshua in particular. Um, I want to give us the basis before we get there, but I, my point here is just that if you have found this daf to be um, the kind of thing that you want to chart out because the names keep like circling back on each other, I could re- recommend that. If you find that it's just head spinning, we understand. Um, okay, here's the Mishnah. There are five karbanot, there are five different sacrifices that are, well, offerings, let's call them, that are brought, even if the people who bring them are tame, are impure, but you don't eat it, you don't eat them while ritually impure. And here they are. That Omer. Omer is the the Korban of the of the grain, right? That's brought in Nisan. Um, which is the begin is what's brought on the second day of Pesach, right? And it's and it's the beginning of how he counts Spirata Omer. That's the Omer. Shtehalechem, this is the Korban of the grain offering that is brought on Chavuot. Belechem upon him, this is the Chala, basically, that's in the Beit HaMikdash all of the time, and that's why I say, let's call them offerings or something, as opposed to sacrifices, because this, these these are not, Lechem Panim is not exactly um, offered on a Mizbeach, as much as part of the daily ritual of offerings. V'ziv Cheshal Mitzibor, the sacrifices of the Shlamim that is for the Tzibor, for the community. V'sh, okay, so and then the, the goats that are brought for Rosh Chodesh. So what are these five? And the Yerushalmi notes that two of them kind of go together in terms of Shtei Lechem and maybe. But so the five are Omer, Shtei Lechem, Lechem Apanim, Zivchei Shalmei Tzibur, and Si'irei Roshei Chodeshim. What all of these have in common that the Mishnah doesn't quite tell us is that these are the only communal um, offerings from which people would eat if they were in fact ritually pure to be able to do so, right? As compared to, for example, the Korban Ola, that is the Tamid, the daily offering that is brought in the morning, the Tamid Shal Shachrit and the Tamid Shal Ben Arabayim, the afternoon offering, those are communal sacrifices. It's not an individual bringing them, but they're not eaten. They're fully burned on the Mizbeach, on the altar toward, you know, as an offering to God. So the fact that these five are all eaten by the people who bring them, if they were in a position to be able to do so, namely ritually pure, is going to become relevant in a moment. The mission here continues. However, the Korban Pesach, meaning as compared to these five, the Korban Pesach could be sacrificed in impurity and even eaten in impurity, meaning the person who does the offering could still eat it while impure, Namely, if it's because it is brought for the whole purpose of it is to be eaten, right? As opposed to mostly 
so, or some third of it given to Hashem, or most of it given to Hashem, and burned on the Mizbech, the carbon Pesach is really designed for the people who eat it. Um, and that is the essence of what it is, right? The essence of it is to be eating, as opposed to the Karbanot that are offered, where the offering of it to Hashem is the main part of it, and the eating becomes much more incidental as compared to essential. Now, the Gemara, and I'm not going to delve much into this Gemara because I want to hand over to Yordina. I know you have a lot to say. Um, but the Gemara's first question on this mission is, The fact that we have a specific number listed here means that the Gemara, rather than giving us a general principle, the Gemara has given us five, you know, it, not only does the Gemara give us five specific things, but it tells us that there are going to be five things here. And the fact that it gives us the number like that suggests, meaning in Gemara logic, the implication is that it's these five to the exclusion of, you know, something else. And so the Gemara says, what is this Gemara, what is this list of five coming to exclude? So the Gemara says it's excluding the Korban Shlamim, the festival offering of the 15th of Nisan, meaning the Korban Shlamim that's brought for Pesach, right? Which itself is a korban, right, that cannot be sacrificed in the state of impurity. Meaning, it's it's the example that makes the rule, right? It's the, here's the one extra one that means that these five are their own thing. You can't just say any korban sibor could be, any communal sacrifice could be offered, but betuma, even if you don't eat, even if you can't eat it, betuma. Here's a, a counterexample. There is a korban that is a communal korban, that cannot be sacrificed um, when impure either. And of course, that brings us to Pesach Sheni and so on. Fine. Um, we're not going to delve into the implications there. The rest of this Gemara basically does address each one of these five and you know what makes them specific, specifically on this list, what makes them interesting as different korbanot. Um, I encourage you to give a quick review to the first part of Ahmed Aleph, and you will see more on each of these five things. And as much as that sounds like a cop-out, it's really just in the interest of time. Yordana, take it away. Yeah, this was really a difficult effort to sort of figure out what to go through, not to go through. So we by no means claim that this is extensive. But, um, you know, I think I want to just give some background and read a little bit of a key passage. But essentially, you know, the Gemara now is going to want, after it goes through, uh, you know, figuring out why it is, that these particular communal offerings can be sacrificed in this state of Tuma, now they want to, you know, sort of figure out who authors this Mishnah itself. And it begins with the following. And again, I'm still on Amad Aleph, re- really still pretty much near the top. Sabura, right? They presumed. Now, again, who is the they here? But the Amuraim who are basically studying this. The Alma, Tuma, Duchiahi, Bitsibor that everyone is in agreement that Tuma is basically overridden, right? And that the seats is needed to accept this uh, korban, this communal korban that's brought in the state of Tuma. So this is a very, very interesting point. And the Gemara here is giving us an assumption that's being brought here, um, that when we talk about a communal offering being allowed to be brought in a state of Tuma, the question is, is this sort of being done begrudgingly? That in other words, it's duchia, right? It's overridden, like we're allowing it, but we're not thrilled with it. Or is it hutra? Is it that it's 
totally allowed. Like it's, we're totally fine. We're not going to make Tuma uh, interfere with us bringing this. And so here the assumption actually is what is that it's Duchia, right? That it's, it's, we're allowing it, but a little begrudgingly, right? It overrides the Tuma. The communal need overrides the Tuma. But the only reason why that's the case is because Uvayat seats Loretzotes, because the seats, right? This, you know, piece that the, um, that the Kohen uh, Gadol would wear, right? The head plate that the Kohen Gadol would wear is there and it allows the Korban to actually be accepted. Now, again, I don't know what exactly that means. In other words, I think we're buying into a system of the Avoda, which, again, not having witnessed it or seen it, but that there is something that happens with all the procedures, the clothes that the Kohanim wear, how they do the actually Avoda, that all of that detail leads to the acceptance of the Korban note itself. Now, again, I think that sounds a little odd to us in a way, but, you know, I think we could think of it a little bit, maybe this is metaphysical or Kabbalistic, but I think the idea of doing mitzvot, right, whatever it is that we do in this world, when God commands us to do something, something metaphysical changes or, 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 or you know, something happens in the spiritual realm. And so I think the idea here is that a lot of what happens with the avoda itself, you know, um, and down to the minute detail of it, you know, so here the Kohen Gadol wearing the seats, right? Something changes and what changes here? That even a korban, which is being brought with communal tuma, it is going to be accepted. So even though we're allowing it to be brought, right? That we're saying that, right? But because the Kohen Gadol is wearing his seats, because that head plate is on, the korban itself is going to be actually accepted. It's not being accepted because it's being brought in this state of Tuma. It's really being accepted because of the seats. And again, I think the way that I view it is, it's just that when we buy into the system of halacha, when we buy into the mitzvot, I think we have to have some sort of belief that these actions that we do, this paying attention to the detail, changes something spiritual. Um, there may be people who don't agree with me at all, but that this is at least how I sort of conceptualize it. I don't know, Anne, if you want to add anything to this before I keep reading. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Right. Keep going. So now, because there's no Tana who says that it's really permitted, that it's allowed to bring it in Tuma, except for Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda is the only Tana who says, oh, it's not that it's Zuchia, it's Hutra. It's like totally fine to bring these communal sacrifices in a state of Tuma. And then they're going to bring a brisa to, that discusses this. To Tanya, right? The seats of the coin gadol, whether it's on his forehead or it's not on his forehead, right? When it's brought with a, we're talking about a korban, right? That becomes tame, okay? It affects, it can still affect Mirate, It can still affect its acceptance. Divrei Rabbi Shimon. That is what Rabbi Shimon has to say. So Rabbi Shimon saying, as long as the seats is in existence, at the time that the sacrifice is brought, even though, and the sacrifice becomes tame, it's still, it, it, it's still okay. It's still going to make it okay. And this korban will still be accepted. Rabbi Yehuda says, as long as it's on his forehead, it only if it's on the Kohen Gadol's forehead, does it affect acceptance? All right. But if it's not on his forehead, it does not, affect acceptance. In other words, it's not that the seats has to ex- exist. It's that the 
uh, it, it's that the, you know, the coin Gadol actually has to be wearing this. Okay. Amar lo Rabbi Shimon. So Rabbi Shimon says to Rabbi Huda, and this is the interesting point. Kohen Gadol biyom kiporim yochiach. But on the Kohen Gadol, right? When the Kohen Gadol actually enters the Kaddish Kedoshim, goes into the most holy place on Yom Kippur, right? He actually removes the seats at that point. So Rabbi Shimon's point is, is that it, that shows you, it's not that he has to be wearing the seats, the Kohen Gadol, the seats just has to like exist. Sheino amitzicho meretzeh. So it's not on the Kohen Gadol at this point. When he goes into the Kaddish Kedosh, right? When at this high point, the most intense, important point of Yom Kippur, he's not wearing the tzitz. And what we'd say? Umiratzah. And still, what? Things are still going to be. The Korban is still going to be, uh, would still be acceptable. Amar Lo, Rabbi Huda says back to him, Heina li Yom Ignore this from Yom Kippur. Shetuma kutra b'tzibor. Because he holds that what? That tuma right, is permitted when it comes to the community. And therefore, you don't need the seats, right? If, if the Kohen Gadol became tum or something became tame, right, during this time of the Kaddish Kedoshim, it would, it's hutra. It's not that you need the seats, It's still going to be accepted. So we learn from this brisa what? That Rabbi Shimon holds that it's duchia, right, that it's overrides, okay, as opposed to Rabbi Huda, who says it's hutra. So what the Gemara here wants to say is that most Tanaim, all the other Tanaim, actually agree with Rabbi Shimon, right? And they don't agree with Rabbi Huda. And therefore, the Amorayim, as they continue to discuss this page and discuss, well, basically discuss this mission, I should say, that's the assumption that they're going to use, that it's Duchia, okay? Now, another thing that they're going to assume here is, right? Right? The other thing that they're going to say is, is that everybody agrees that the seeds doesn't have any effect on the acceptance of that which is eaten, right? So what here are they talking about here, right? So here what we're talking about is, is that let's say the seeds only has the power to affect acceptance for the piece of the offering that's part of the aboda. In other words, sprinkling of the blood, which is a lot of what we're going to be talking about, but not for the actual like meat of the offering itself or for the piece of like the flower of the mincha offering, which is actually eaten. That it doesn't have an effect on. Because there's no Tana, right, who says that the seeds has an acceptance on that which is eaten, except for Rabbi Eliezer, right? Rabbi Eliezer is the only one who holds this. And that's why the Amorai, when they discuss this Mishnah, they're going to assume the opposite opinion, the majority Tanaitic opinion, which is what? That the seats only affects the things like sprinkling the blood, but not on the eaten portions of the of, of the Korban. And now they quote a Brisa to prove this, to Tanya, right? The taught in a Brisa, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, al achilot, right? That the seats affects acceptance, you know, for that which is for that which is uh, eaten. Okay. And it's not saying that it's acceptable to eat the meat. That I want to be clear. Everybody agrees that except for the Korban Pesach, right? Because the purpose of bringing the Korban Pesach is to eat it. So if the Korban Pesach is brought in a state of, uh, you know, Tameh Tzibor, the whole community is Tameh, therefore you're still allowed to eat it. But these other communal uh, Korbanos that was listed in this Mishnah, it, you're not allowed to eat them, right? That that you're not allowed to do. But what we're saying is that, the, the so that's not what the Tzitz is allowed to do. What Rabbi Eliezer is saying is, is that the Tzitz sort of allows this tummy meat 
to be accepted in terms of the avoda itself, and it treats it as if it's tahor, right? So the tuma piece of it being edible, you're still not allowed to eat it. But what you do with the other pieces of the meat, with it being tame, that piece you're allowed to do. And that's why it gets into this description of like throwing the meat somewhere or sprinkling the blood, but things like that. So Rabbi Eliezer holds, right? I shouldn't have mentioned the blood. Let's just focus on the meat piece because that's really what Rabbi Eliezer is saying here is that it, the seats is only, it can be meratza and achilot. So those are sort of the two assumptions here that we have to understand in order to understand this entire page, right? Right? And that And then essentially what the Gemara is going to do here is try to figure out so then maybe this Mishnah does not actually agree with Rabbi Yoshua. Okay? And then that's what they're sort of going to try to tease out. And then what's interesting is, is that after, so after doing the whole back and forth, you know, of trying to figure Rabbi Yeshua's opinion and then always bringing, bringing it back to Rabbi Eliezer, right? The Gemara now concludes with the following. And this is sort of at the bottom of Amud Bet, mid-bottom to Amud Bet. Ela kasabra Rabbi Yeshua had seats, meratza al ha'olin al ha'achilot, right? The seats actually can affect whatever goes up on the Mizbeach and anything that can be eaten, right? So in other words, even though we had this assumption of the Amorayim, right, that all the Tanayim, except for Rabbi Eliezer, say that the tzitz does not affect the acceptance of that which is eaten, right? That, that's the opinion. And Rabbi Eliezer is the only one who holds no, the tzitz can affect that which is eaten. In the end, we say, nope, actually Rabbi Yeshua holds that it does affect it. And the fact that you have the seats, it does affect its, its acceptance. So I think that's kind of how I would summarize, you know, this entire dot is that we're sort of starting with these two assumptions. We assume that Rabbi Yeshua is the majority opinion of the Tanayim. That's the starting position of the Amorayim, right? In, in Machlokas with Rabbi Eliezer. And then it's going to go through multiple different ways of unpacking Rabbi Yoshua's opinion, but ultimately is going to come to the conclusion, actually, Rabbi Yoshua does agree with, uh, does agree with, uh, with Rabbi Eliezer. So the Gemara, again, wants to now say that Rabbi Yoshua agrees with Rabbi Eliezer. Ultimately, they're actually going to reject that. Again, I'm not going to read all of that. And then they're going to come to a different way to resolve this. And then they're going to say, right, Rabbi Yeshua actually does agree with this Mishnah. Below Kasha, and there's no difficulty. Kan right here, okay, we're dealing with, we're sort of, Rabbi Yeshua is saying initially what happens, right? Kan Whereas in our Mishnah, we're talking about what happens after the fact, right? And so, uh, again, I think this is a very difficult job. It really needs to sort of be written out or mapped out. I'm still sort of feel like I could go back and look at it again. But what I attempted to do here, at least, was sort of pull out a few of the key passages um, to sort of explain this. And even with, with the final explanation that I gave here, ultimately, really at the end, end, end of the daf, the Gemara is even going to reject this premise of l'chatzchila um, in bidi abed. Um, and then finally, at the top of the next daf, right, the only way that they're going to be able to say that we can say that Rabbi Yeshua actually does agree with their Mishnah, say, right? That the distinction has to be is, are we dealing with a korban of an individual 
or we're dealing with the korban of a tzibar. Our mission is talking about the korban of the of a tzibar. And so when we talk about the avoda that has to be done with an individual's korban, right, that cannot be done if the meat is actually tame, right? But it will be accepted later on, as Rabbi Yeshua said, right? But the avoda of a communal offering, it can be done even when there's an initial state of tuma, as our Mishnah actually, you know, actually explains. So again, to summarize, the way I would outline this is that essentially, you know, we start off with two assumptions of the of the Amurayim, right? The second assumption has to do with the one with the tzitz, has to do with the machlokas between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua. They try to say, can this Mishnah actually go according to Rabbi Yoshua? They go through a lot of different ways of analyzing the Mishnah. They ultimately want to say, no, maybe Rabbi Yoshua agrees with Rabbi Eliezer. They reject that premise. Then they come to this idea of saying this l'chatzchila, b'dievid way of viewing Rabbi Yeshua's opinion to get the Mishnah to agree with Rabbi Yeshua. They reject that premise. And then ultimately, which is the top of tomorrow's top, they're going to land on this idea of kan b'yachid, kan b'tzibor. That our, because our Mishnah is talking about b'tzibor, that's how we can understand that Rabbi Yeshua's opinion actually agree. So I hope this provided a little bit of an outline and an understanding of what exactly is going on in this stuff. So I, I think you've outlined it actually rather beautifully. Um, and I do think it's a very challenging daf. And I think that following it all through is a big challenge. I want to make a, a sidebar comment rather than, you know, getting into the fray of Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Lazar, which is this. The Mishnah is talking specifically about Korbanot Sibor, they are communal offerings. And we've talked, you've talked now about individual offerings and the implications of that. And I'm just struck by the fact that the Korban Pesach, which is, you know, the the backdrop of all of this, right, is kind of neither communal nor individual, right? You don't bring a Korban Pesach by yourself, but you also don't bring a Korban Pesach on behalf of the Sibor, right? I mean, I guess if there was nobody else, if there's nobody able to be eating from it, Right, which we've discussed already, right? What would happen if everybody everybody is Tame, right? But you know, the the case that we had about the possibility of the Nasi, um, and everybody's Tame from the death of the Nasi, for example, as a theoretical. But here we've got a case really of something that's kind of blurry in that it is a group eating, let's say a group offering. And so, you know, again, you can bring it as a ritual thing. And then you can, but you can also eat it, Patuma, which, you know, depending on the circumstances, um, depending on how it's, you know, making sure that it's not disqualified by all the disqualifications that we've talked about already, right? And I feel like the Korban Pesach ends up being a unique Korban, I'm sure because of what it is, right? This is the Korban Pesach, which is the beginning of Pesach, right? And Yitziat Mitzrayim, the exodus from, from Egypt and the forging of Ben Israel as a people and so on. And I'm just struck by the fact that it has a different identity in terms of these particular halachot, where you would think, I would think, I don't know what you would think, but I would think that the ritual impurity would get in the way of any korban. So fine. So the Mishnah schools me otherwise and says, when you're talking about a, a communal offering from which people can eat, then we make sure that the korban happens, even if the person coming to do the bring the offering is is impure. But right, like how far does impurity become a barrier to doing holy work? And the answer is maybe not as far as I might have thought. 
and especially when we're talking about the carbon Pesach, the, the overriding principles of what is this carbon and what does it mean for the Jewish people seems to be indeed like a at the very least, a dechuya kind of thing where it's going to push off. Again, I, I don't want to use a halachic terminology when I'm trying to make a more philosophical comment. Uh, so I apologize for that. But right, it seems to be the kind of thing that it simply pushes aside these other halachic Right, concerns. but I think that's what's fascinating about the Korban Pesach because it's, it's a communal sacrifice in the sense of like the whole community has to do it, but it's brought individually. I mean, yes, it's in a group, but in other words, it's like brought thousands, hundreds of thousands can be brought as a small group. Right, right. That's why I call right. it blue. Yeah, exactly. Right? I, think, not, I think that's it, the key point. As here. opposed to a, a Yoledet, a Yoledet, somebody who's given birth brings her right. own korban, right? And that's, I think that's why the korban Pesach ultimately has the other exception, which is you eat it. The other korbanos you don't eat, right. the Tzibor the korbanos that are brought Tuma. But everything about the korban Pesach in itself is special. And, you know, I think that's really a lot of what's trying to be emphasized. If we can bring it back to Pesachim, that's really what's being emphasized in this parak is sort of the unique nature of the Korban Pesach itself. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Frank us, review us where you get your podcasts. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about these communal offerings, the individual offerings and the Korban Pesach. Thank you to Rebbe Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.